pickup truck just totally turned over on its side and it was the eeriest thing ever because nobody else was around that time of morning on a Sunday morning trucks there and I of course stop and to get out and I'm yelling you know is are you all right is anybody in there and there's like steam coming off the engine it's, it's like a really freaky scene I call 911 true story absolutely true I call 911 and I get on the phone with them they're saying okay we'll send people but we need to go over and check in the tr truck and see if they're all right. And I'll be honest with you, I did not want to go over to that truck and look inside. One, it was turned up, and so you know I had to kind of climb up and look down in it. And I really didn't want to see anybody dead on Sunday morning uh, on the way to church. And, and so uh, the, the non operator said, no, you, you need to do this. You need to go check it out and see if everyone's okay. And so I went over to the truck and I checked on the truck, and uh, I took action because I, I had to do it. Somebody had to do it, right? And I took the action needed. And that's kind of the passage in Jude, what we're dealing with spiritually here. There's a rescue signal that goes out that says, hey, there's an issue, there's a problem, and people are in trouble, and now we have to go, even if it's uncomfortable, even if we don't feel qualified, even if it's like, what am I going to do once I do see the person there, right? What am I going to do about it? Jude says it's our responsibility as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to really go to the mess of people's lives and to talk to them, deal with them when they find themselves in sin in a, in a place that they should not be. And so that's the scene here in Jude. So let's read uh, verses 20 through to 25 today. That's going to finish off the book of Jude. So we're in Jude. There's only one chapter, verses 22 through 25. Jude writes, he says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments, garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that gives us truth. Here we are so many years later, but the situations are so similar as uh, back in Jude's day as they are in our day today that we have people uh, who love their sin more than they love Jesus and people who identify as Christians and church attenders and members who uh, are running from you and running to their sin. God, I pray that you'll help us to see today that those who are mature in you are responsible and need to take action, God. I pray that you will be glorified and honored in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the truck story, I go over and the truck's empty. There's nobody there. The officers show up and the guy's already split. There is a little, like a little cooler laying there that's open, so I'm thinking he took his alcohol and he ran, right? But this is what Jude's getting at. He's saying, hey, you gotta go. 
You've got to go into the situation and you've got to deal with the people that are in trouble. Let's review. Why are people in trouble? Because there's false teachers who have crept into the church, Jude says. All right, These are not people with name tags that says false teacher on them. These are people who came into the church community, the church is gathering, they're meeting, they've crept in in such a way that they are unnoticed for being um, those who are teaching heresy or promoting heresy. And Jude says, you've been warned this is going to happen. Back in verse 17 and 18, he says, scoffers are going to work their way into the church. And he says, here's how you will recognize these scoffers. Jude's dealing with not necessary scoffers who are promoting this false doctrine through their teaching, but it's through their lifestyle choices. It's through their behavior. He says in verse 18, they follow their own worldly passions. So instead of following God's way of living, what he has given us in his word, what Jesus has told us, the way to live, what the Holy Spirit is working in us to produce the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, these people are just running after their own ungodly passions And these scoffers we talked about last week, they mock, they laugh, and they sneer, and they make light of God's holiness and his moral perfection. Definitely the world that we live in today. And so Jude's message is very clear. Contend for the faith. Fight for the faith. You've got to fight for the faith to keep the church pure. And so Jude has spent much of this letter exposing these false teachers, showing these false teachers for who they are and how they can be identified within the congregation, because they crept in. Now he turns his attention to those who have been impacted by the false teachers, those who have received their influence or accepted their influence at some degree or another. So Christians who are firm in their faith, they're called in this passage to deal wisely and mercifully with those who have been deceived by their lies, those who have been deceived by their lies. And he gives us some examples, some, some, uh, some really practical things on how to do that. Years ago, back when I lived in Tallahassee, went to the ER late one night because uh, Michelle, I think we just had Shelby, so she was a baby. I was having this serious stomach pain. I mean, I was literally on the floor. I like, couldn't get up. It was hurting so bad, and I was just laying there moaning. I didn't know what was going on, appendix, or what the deal was, and Michelle, again, she couldn't leave Shelby. Shelby was just weeks old, I believe, and so I had to get up and drive to the emergency room at uh, TCH, what was called TCH at the time. And I drove there to the emergency room. I go in, and there's somebody there who immediately then talks to me, and I begin to describe the symptoms that I'm having and the problem that I'm having. And they take down these notes, you know, and I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm in serious condition here, right? I, I'm really bad, so they need to usher me back and deal with me right away. But they said, you go sit down over here in the waiting area, and we'll get to you in a few minutes. Well, am I sitting there for what turned into be 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, three hours, I saw other people coming in on ambulances. I saw a police officer showing up with people. I saw people coming in, and they went immediately back after talking to this person, whereas I had to wait. And truthfully, by the time I waited the entire time and saw the doctor, I didn't have any pain any longer, right? So, so that's what they were doing. It's called triage, right? They were looking at the people, and they were determining the level of medical care that they needed, how much attention they needed at the moment. And that's kind of the thing that Jude is doing here, kind of spiritual triage. He's saying, you got to look at these people and look at the situation they're in. And as uh, people who are rooted in Christ and firm in your faith, see these situations and know how to respond to each one accordingly. Because people are in danger, some more than others. So 
Here's the big idea today. Very clearly, God uses Christian fellowship as a means of perseverance. Let me say that again. God uses Christian fellowship as a means of perseverance. So if we're going to be truth in a world that's corrupt, a world that's confused by morality, fused by the media, we have to be those, our church fellowship, who are used by the Holy Spirit as a means of preservation and, and of perseverance. And so it's easy for us in these situations, if we're honest with ourselves, to look at, look at somebody in church who's struggling, somebody who's was part of church, who's kind of wandered away, and we think it's somebody else's problem, it's not our problem, and that the other people should handle it, and that's not my job. And the truth is, it's easy for us to look and say, well, I'm not capable, so therefore somebody else should do it. But it's not optional. If you think a physical situation is difficult, somebody who's in spiritual peril, it's much more serious, right? We know it. It's much more serious because their soul, their eternity, way it could be in the balance. It could be a, such a serious thing that we, if we don't take action, if God, our response to God's leading in our life, if we don't do what God tells us to do, then there could be spiritual consequences to this because God uses us in a way to help with others as they persevere in the faith. John Piper says this. I, I love this. What a great reminder for pastors, elders, and leaders, and just everyone who comes to church. Every sermon... Every conversation is a means of final salvation. There are no meaningless moments. Life is awesomely meaningful at every moment. Do you believe that? Sometimes I, I, I believe that, but I don't live that way. Do you? I don't believe that every conversation is so critical that it could be the means of final salvation for somebody else. That the conversations that I have and the way that I reflect Jesus Christ makes a difference in that person's life. That's pretty heavy and that's weighty, but that's what Jude is getting at here in this passage, that he uses Christian fellowship, and I want to look at that word for a second before we look at the next word, Christian fellowship, because the term fellowship has fallen on pretty hard times over the last century or so, right? We go to fellowships. People have, at their church, they have fellowship hall they go to, right? But that's not the biblical idea of fellowship at all. Fellowship is the word that we get our K group, if you wonder why we call it K group. K group, K means koinonia, which is, in the Greek, that means fellowship. And so it's so much more than just getting together and eating chicken together or just hanging out together. It's shared participation in our union with Jesus. So we come together as the body of Christ, and we center our lives around Jesus. And when we're unified with Christ, we're connected to the entire body. So when you came to Christ, you didn't just come into union with Christ. You came into union with his body as well, with the church. The church is his body. But yet in our, I think in our 21st century mindset of Christianity, it's just me and Jesus, right? It's so individualized like much of what society is. And we don't see our desperate responsibility and the bond that we have with our fellow church members who should, it honestly should be closer than flesh and blood because these are our, our, our people. You guys are our people. We come together to promote the cause of Jesus Christ. And the New Testament speaks of this in, in staggering ways that we don't have time to go into today. Many of those were in John 17 when we did the John series. So in this culture that's more connected than ever, ever before, right? 
People are in total isolation and they need true biblical fellowship. I was talking to some people yesterday and we were talking about 2020. And in some ways it seems like so long ago, the whole shutdown and going to just online church. And the repercussions for that on people's lives were incredible. And I think one thing that we learned from that time was how much we need each other in order to keep our souls healthy and to just really have a regular rhythm of corporate worship in our life and face-to-face fellowship with one another where we can grow in Jesus. And when you pull people away from the body of Christ, bad things begin to happen. We, become, we come up with stuff. That we pull things out of the Bible that just aren't there, right? And I, I love how Dave Mathis gives a, a great illustration timely with football season starting yesterday, of fellowship. He says, fellowship is less the Christian Super Bowl party and more like the players themselves huddled on the field calling the next play. And I I love that picture of fellowship, that we get together for a reason, for the kingdom of God. And so if we're going to be used as uh, people who promote the cause of Jesus in fellowship, then we have to understand what true fellowship is and what it means, and we have to be intentional with it. And then the other word is our perseverance. Perseverance, all right? What does that mean? The Bible teaches that all true believers in Christ will persevere in the faith to the end of their lives because they are preserved by the sustaining grace of God. Let me read that again. The Bible teaches that all true believers in Christ will persevere in the faith to the end of their lives because they are being preserved by the sustaining grace of God. Skip down, uh, let's look at verses 22 and particularly uh, verse 24, 22, 23, 24. He says, have mercy on those that doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy without fear, hating even the garments stained by their flesh. We'll talk about those in a second. Verse 24, now to him, Jesus, him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So Jude writes that Jesus keeps us from stumbling. So the security of our salvation is God's agenda. But we're going to see in the verses leading up to this, the church has a huge role in this process. God keeps his children from stumbling. Another way of saying that would be that He keeps you firm in your faith, standing in your faith, standing strong in the faith. And so while we're living on this earth and we're dealing with all the temptations that come at us, he says that his children will be kept strong, kept from stumbling, kept strong, kept firm, kept standing in their faith. He's going to do that for us. Why? So he can present us blameless before God, blameless before him. God supplies what we need to stand before him. On our own, if we stood before God without Jesus Christ, what would he say? He would say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I don't know you. So when we stand before Jesus as a believer, do we stand there and say, I deserve to be here because I lived a pretty good life. I attended Grace Church nearly every Sunday. I sometimes attended a K group. I was pretty involved. I was a good person, a good neighbor. I was kind. I was really a good person. I'm sorry, but if that's the way that you defend your salvation in front of God, you've missed the point of the gospel. And God will look at you and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you're trying to work your way, earn your way 
into his glory, his presence, and that's, you're incapable of doing that. So to stand, stand blameless before God, it's all about Jesus. It's all Jesus. And so Jesus is our righteousness. So God says, you're standing before me. Why are you standing here? And we say, Jesus. Jesus died and rose again. He is the reason I can stand here today before you, God. And he'll say, welcome into my presence. Like he welcomed Cleve Dryden last night into his presence. If you didn't see the, the message, Cleve passed away last night about 11. And just what a faithful servant, right? If you knew Cleve, just a, a humble, kind, generous man. But as humble and kind and generous as he was, that didn't earn him any favor with God. The reason why that he could stand before God last night and God said, welcome in, my child, is because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus. And so please don't miss that. In our church, there's people week in and week out that hear the gospel that still some way don't get the gospel that it's all about Jesus. It's all about what he did on the cross. He came, he died, he bled, he rose again, and his blood is the reason that covers you so you can stand before God, holy and blameless. And so Jude says that you can stand before him because God is securing your salvation. And, and, and I want to talk for a second because depending on your faith background and how you grew up, this term, these terms may not make sense to you, you may not understand them or know them. So the perseverance of the saints, if you're more from like the reform side of the, the church history, then that term makes sense to you. But if you're a Baptist like me, you know the term once saved, always saved, or eternal security. These things are basically the idea that those whom God has saved, he will preserve. He will not allow his children to fall away. So the Bible teaches that those who are born again, again, will continue to trust in Jesus forever. Those who know Jesus have placed their faith in Jesus, you'll persevere, you'll continue on, because once saved, always saved. You're saved and secure. Now, the, the term, and maybe it's because of my background being Baptist and seeing so many people who came and made a profession at the altar and said they were saved and then went out and just continued to live life just like normal after maybe a two-week honeymoon, like the, the, the term once saved, always saved, sometimes can, I don't use that a lot because it gives the impression that someone can confess Jesus and then just live however they want to live. Like God stuck with me, right? I, I said that prayer, so God stuck with me. I can do whatever I want and he has to save me, right? And, and so I think that's why personally that sometimes I don't use that term very much, but there's nothing wrong with once saved or always saved in the eternal security. It's a great term. Perseverance as a saints can be on the flip side. It can be uh, uh, come across in a way that can put so much emphasis on the faith that the believer has rather than on the grace of God. Like, oh, I gotta persevere. I gotta just stick with this. I gotta endure it. I gotta pull myself up by my bootstraps and make it through. And so it can give the impression that perseverance is all on you and it's your faith, not the grace of God. But scripture says that it's God's grace that sustains us. And the way that we came to Jesus by grace through faith is the same way that we continue on. And so maybe a, a better word than uh, perseverance would be preservation. God preserves us. But either way, God's faithful to his children. God is faithful to you. What he started in you, the good work, he's going to continue it. And so these people that Jude is writing to, there's true believers that are there 
that are firm in their faith. There are some that are, we're going to see that are wavering in their faith. There are some that are just flat out, like we talked about, wolves in sheep clothing. They are not regenerated, born-again believers. And so we all are going to struggle at time to time for sure, but those who truly know Jesus will persevere to the end. Scripture teaches that plain and clearly. And, and I love this graph uh, that I found, and I recreated it, and it's really good to, a reminder because I think sometimes, let me just explain this to you because I think this is helpful. So when we come to Jesus at salvation, oftentimes we have a small awareness of really God's holiness. We definitely understand true salvation, that I understand that I need a Savior, right? But sometimes as you mature and you're in the Word and you're growing and God's revealing more and more of his holiness, we can actually become more aware of our sinfulness because we see how short we fall. Like, God's so far up there, I'm so far down here, and as God shows us more of his character, we see how much even further we are away from God. So oftentimes, as we mature in Christ, we feel like maybe a hypocrite because we're like, I'm not doing everything I believe. But a hypocrite is not a person who doesn't do everything they believe. A, per, a hypocrite is a person who fakes it, who's trying to pretend like they're doing everything they believe, right? And so just because you don't measure up to God's standard doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. It means you're human, right? It means that you're still on this journey. But what this graph does show us is the greater the distance between God's holiness and our realization of our sinfulness, the more we run to the cross. And the more the gospel becomes sweeter and sweeter to us. Because we understand that without Jesus, we're nothing. That we have nothing. We, we got nothing. We would stand before him and say, here's my filthy rags, God. I have nothing to offer you, but it's Jesus. It's the cross. And so those who are saved, we continue to pursue, even through the peaks and the valleys of our faith and of our, our faith walk. But we don't quit. We don't give up. So we persevere. And so we lean into our gospel identity who God called us to be, who he said we are, you're my child. And when the devil tries to tell you that maybe you don't know Jesus, maybe you're, you don't, you say, I am God's child. He redeemed me because of Jesus Christ, not because of me, because of Jesus Christ. And I point to Jesus, I lean to Jesus, I look to Jesus, and I keep my eyes on Jesus. And so in this process of, persever of, perse uh, of our perseverance, he uses the church body in a very, very powerful way. And I think it's one of the most underused means of grace that we have. Because sometimes we're just too private and we don't want to let people in. But verses 22 and 23, Jude gives three instructions to help us fulfill our role in helping others to persevere in the faith. And I don't think this list is exhaust exhaustive, but I think it's very, very helpful. Look at it again, verse 22 and 23. He says... Have mercy on those who doubt. So you see a first group, he says, these people are the doubting people. And he says, what do you, how do you respond to this? What's the instruction? He says, I want you to have mercy on those who doubt. These people have been attracted to the lifestyle of the false teachers. They've been influenced. And they could be on the brink of disaster here. But they're still hesitating before taking that final step. So these, um, often these are true believers because they're hesitant. They're, they're not just indulging the flesh. And so Jude says, you need to have mercy on these people. They need, you need to be able to go to them. You need to be able to defend the faith. You need to be able to do it in a way that's very gracious. And you need to be careful that you don't come across as 
condemning, criticizing, or judging them for their wavering faith, but you speak into them and you imitate God, and one of the best ways you imitate God is by showing mercy to them. Help them in their doubting. Help them by showing them love and deep commitment to them. So think about people throughout your time in church that maybe you've either had opportunities or missed opportunities. Somebody who's been wavering and it was inconvenient or difficult for you to go to them, but some of you did do that, and you saw oftentimes really good results as a, uh, as a result of going to them. And I think about K-groups and how essential K-groups are because it puts us in close enough proximity to other people where we build relationships where you actually will have confidence to go and say, hey, you know, I've noticed that you're really struggling. I've noticed that, you know, something's going on in your life, and I want to help you and encourage you and to show mercy to you and help you in this situation, not to condemn you or criticize you. And so these false teachers, they're, they're denying the lordship of Jesus. And so that may be the case for the doubters. They're just living their lives in a way that they're not putting Jesus as Lord. So he says, go and show mercy. The next group, a little more serious, this group we'll call the burning. Look at verse 23. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. So these people are in serious danger. There's a video that I saw on the internet. And this, these two guys, this dude with a skateboard, and he's up on this, this rock, this kind of large rock. And his friends like has gasoline, and his friends poured gasoline down the rock and lit it on fire to make this, this fire path. And so like this dude, he's like your typical like skater, surfer guy. You know, he's like, yeah, man. And, and he's like skateboarding down the rock through the flame. And he's done that like four or five times. And like, that's cool at first, but then they're kind of bored. And so the, the dude then brings the gas can up and he pours it on his skateboard. And then the guy's going to go down again. And so he lights it and he like totally just engulfs this guy in flames. And the guy, of course, he starts running through the grass, jumps off the rock, running through the grass, trying to get the flames out. And his friend at first is kind of like watching like, yo, man, that's, that's terrible. Like this dude, I hope that fire goes out. And it takes him a minute to respond to the situation and run and jump on him and roll around and get the fire out. The guy's okay, okay? But that's the picture we have here that people are literally like, they're, they're in the fire. They're burning. And a lot of times what we do is we just kind of stand back and like, hey, I hope you can figure that out, man. You know, I hope you can get, take care of that. And we don't go, we don't try to help and save these people and snatch them. And so I think Jude is getting at people in this situation, we have to act quickly and we have to act decisively because they're on fire. And fire is a standard biblical metaphor for hell. And so some in the church have been so seduced by the false teachers and their lifestyle and this way of living like grace is just a license for me to do whatever I want to do. And he says they're on the brink of hell. They're teetering on hell. And so their behavior is that of a non-believer. They, by their action, by their fruit, it shows that they're a non-believer. And the faithful Christians in the community need to go and snatch them, tell them the gospel, remind them of the gospel, tell them what Jesus said, the faith that's been passed down from the apostles, as he talked about at the beginning of the book, to contend for. We need to snatch them out and remind them of what Jesus said. And it's so, critical, so critical that we do that, but oftentimes it doesn't go well when we try, and oftentimes we're hesitant to do that. Oftentimes when you go, my experience is when you go to a person in that situation and they're on fire, but they just feel kind of warm by the fire, right? Uh, I, I remember as a kid, it was a huge snowstorm up in West Virginia. We had this nice hill in our neighborhood. 
that people were uh, sleigh riding down, and we spent a couple hours out there, and one of the parents came and built this humongous fire for us. And after we had, uh, it was very cold, and after we had uh, sleigh ride, rid, rid, down the ride, rid, whatever, down the hill quite a few times, and we were all snowy, I went over and stood by the fire, and I'm standing with my back to the fire like this, and it felt great until all of a sudden I like reached down and like touched myself and like I was super warm like to the point of like I can't believe my pants were on fire at this moment but I was so frozen that I couldn't feel what was going on and I could see how easily it would be just to burn your skin in a situation like that. That's what we're dealing with here in a lot of people. They like the sin that they're living in and you go to them and you're like that's, that's critical that you, that you do something here, right? And it never works out well oftentimes but it doesn't alleviate our responsibility to go to them. Maybe it's somebody who's you know, leaving their spouse or abandoning their family. That's difficult to go to and say, look, let me, let me talk to you. Let me tell you what the Scripture says about that. But many times we're just like, oh, I don't want to get involved. I, you know, stay, stay away from that because that's somebody else's job, somebody else's business. But we have a responsibility to those in our church body that we go to them in situations like these. Hebrews says it very, very well. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Listen to these, these, these verses. Very powerful. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So what do we do? Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So that's that perseverance of the saints, that true believers hold their faith to the end. We don't abandon our faith. And so we go to these people who are in danger. And then there's a, a, another group that are even in greater danger, and we'll call these people, not only are they da in danger, they're the dangerous. Why? Look at verse 23. To others, show mercy without, with fear. Why do we need to be fearful? Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. The flesh is a word for just living life however you want to live. If it feels good, I do it. So this group is not only a danger to themselves, they're a toxic danger to others. They're like somebody who has an infectious disease, and, and, and if you go around them, you could easily catch this. And so they're following their ungodly passions, and they've even become scoffers in their attitude toward God's holiness, and they're so polluted that we must be very, very cautious to go to them and how we deal with them. Why? I think because many of the Christians during the time of Jude's writing would have been saved from these environments, this temple worship and these idol worships and these situations where this uh, type of living, this sensuous living was, was so, um, I'm trying to be careful of my words here, um, so, so evil and sexual that to go into those environments and try to, help that person and say that person, you could be exposed to the very things that God saved you out of and very much tempted to the things that once were the very issues that you were saved from. And so he says, you got to be very careful and use wisdom and approach these people in a very delicate and, and wise manner because you could be impacted by their way of living, by the things they're believing. And you may see that and you may be like, wow, I miss that lifestyle, right? And so He's warning them, be careful, be careful. And so in all these situations, the common denominator is that we have to go, and it's not easy. I was in 
my flight club on Thursday, and the guy was telling me, he said I could use a story. He said that uh, one time he was out in his yard, probably 10, 12 years ago, and he was so tired of the fire ants in his yard that he finally he got, he brought out a gas can, and his kids were little at that time, and his kids were out there, and he was pouring gas on the ant beds and lighting them on fire. A lot of people have done that, right? So he was doing that, and he had three or four fires going in the, in the yard, and the kids were watching. Well, a neighbor is driving by. He doesn't know her, but she drives by. She stops, and she says, sir, come over here. She's like, that is not smart to do. That, this is not wise to do that. And, and he, he said he got really mad. He got angry, and he said, don't tell me how to. I'm a grown man. Don't tell me how to live my life. Get out of here. And, and he, was, he said he was so rude and, and immature with her, and he was angry at her. But you know what he said? He said, John, I never, ever poured gasoline and lit it on fire in my yard again after that. Even though I acted that way toward her, I knew she was right. I knew there was wisdom in what she was saying. And he said, so I heeded her wisdom, even though she may have never realized that I did. And so you see, sometimes when we go and we obey the Holy Spirit and do what he says to do, it may feel like rejection, but it's okay. Because the truth sometimes hurts, right? And truth in a confused culture hurts. It's difficult to give that, but it's wise to give it, and we need to give it, and it's wisdom that will save them, and it's loving wisdom if it saves them and snatches them from the fire. And so we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and we bring comfort when we need to bring comfort. We bring rebuke when we need to bring rebuke, and sometimes it's a mixture of both. Now, Jude closes this book in, a, in a, such a powerful and beautiful way in what's called a doxology, and that's just a fancy word that means words of glory. And we're actually going to sing this as our final song here in just a minute because it's such a powerful verse. And Mitch introduced this song to you last week. Let's read it together. He says, To the only God, our Savior, so God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. And remember who Jude is again, right? He's the half-brother of Jesus. And he says, man, what a tribute. This is a tribute to my brother, Jesus, my half-brother. Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen, right? Amen. Amen just means may it be so. What an amazing way to end this little short but powerful book, a book that is so timely in our culture and timely in our church. But here's the thing. We have to respond, and we have to obey and do what God has told us to do. So the head that we have to wrap our mouths around, God uses us. He uses Christian fellowship as a means of perseverance. God uses you and I to help others persevere in their faith. And here's what we have to just rally in our hearts and talk to ourselves and preach the gospel to ourselves. That God is merciful toward me, so why should I not be merciful to other people, right? If God showed me so much mercy, if God sent Jesus to die for me and gave me salvation, then why in the world would I not be merciful for the, to those around me? Why would I not be an ambassador for his glory and go to people and show mercy? So the hands application is very simple. Just go. Go to those who are doubtful, those who are wondering, pray for their repentance and pray for their restoration. Go. Think of somebody that you need to go to, somebody in our church family, somebody that used to sit in these seats, and not that they've gone to another church. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who have just pretty much abandoned the faith. They're, they've abandoned the body of Christ. They're not part of our community any longer, or they were, and they've slipped in and out, and they need encouragement. Maybe they've lost their love for Jesus, and it's obvious because they don't attend your K-group anymore. 
And so he says, go and be useful for the kingdom. Trust Jesus. Go in confidence that God will use you to make a difference in others' lives for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It's so strong and it's so powerful. It's so amazing. And God, you give us just really practical application here today. And God, for the, those who are standing firm in their faith and those who are, um, are mature and they know they know enough to go and to be an encouragement, maybe it's a family member they need to speak to. Maybe it's somebody who is in their K group or somebody who once attended here and they just need to encourage them and show mercy and love them. And maybe it's not even a rebuke. Maybe it's just a friendship that needs to be reunited and, and restored. God, I pray that you will use us as your body to be your ambassadors for your glory because all glory is to you, God, because you're amazing and you're so powerful. And we thank you for Jesus, who is our hope not only in this life, but definitely in the next, God, that we cling to him knowing that he will take us to the end and present us before you, God, holy and blameless. In Jesus' name.